Good morning. I hope you guys are doing good. Um, excited to be with you today. You know, we sing this song, Holy, Holy, Holy. Um, and when you think about that, holy literally means other. It means uh, different, set apart. It, it means there's no one else like him. And, and that's so true. Uh, we look at God the Father, there's no one like him. Um, when we look at Jesus, there's no one like him. We think about what the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does in our lives. There's no one like him. And so that song is so true for us to realize that he is holy. He is other. He is not like us. And yet, amazingly, God has made a way for us to come to him. Even though we're not holy, he's made a way for us to come to him. And that's through Jesus. And that's why we worship. That's why we praise is because of who God is and what God's done. And, and I hope that just as we sang today, as we sang holy, 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 we said open up our eyes to the wonder. I, I pray our eyes would be open more today to see who God is and that our hearts would be lifted up more than ever today because of that. And so we're going to continue in this book of Judges. We've been looking at the book of Judges, the horror and hope of humanity. If you go all the way back to the very first week, remember we talked about how the horror is in us. We can do things that just will surprise even ourselves, all right? Um, but the hope is not. The hope is in Christ. The hope is in God. He's the one who gives us new hearts. And out of those new hearts um, flow the good things of God. And, and so we're going to continue looking at this. Today we're looking at one of the judges. His name is Ehud. Um, and Ehud, uh, there's nothing particular, uh, particularly special about this man. Um, it doesn't talk about great moral character. It doesn't talk about anything like that. In fact, um, Ehud actually uses a lot of deception as God uses him to deliver Israel. So you kind of even get this picture that Ehud probably wasn't such a godly person. But what it shows us is that God uses flawed human beings to accomplish his purposes. And that's one of the things I want you to see today is that you have a greater purpose in the kingdom of God. The second thing I want you to see today, and these are kind of go, go back and forth as we look at Ehud. One is that God desires to use you in his kingdom. The second one is the way that Ehud actually points us to Jesus. This imperfect judge, savior, deliverer points us to the perfect judge, savior, deliverer who rescues us not from the kingdom of the Moabites, but from the kingdom of darkness and brings us into the kingdom of God's son, whom he loves. And so when we go through this, I want you to see that the third thing is more of a response. I want us to respond in worship. I want us to see God's purpose and plan for our lives. I want us to see what he's done for us in Jesus. And out of that, my prayer is that worship would erupt from within us, that it would be impossible for us not to praise him because of the truth we've seen and heard through his word. And so let's read Judges chapter th uh, 3, verse 12, uh, to the end of the chapter. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, there's some weird stuff, like, not weird, but just, just to be honest, just gross stuff in this passage. But we'll read it. You'll see what I mean. It says, again, the Israelites, this is chapter 3, verse 12 in the book of Judges. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So here's this pattern again, right? They did evil again, and this is the whole downward spiral of Israel's existence um, as God is trying to be their God. He's trying to lead them, but they continually fall away. 
and do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And it says, and because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Notice that. He gave them power over Israel. Getting, getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. Now, the city of Palms is actually the city of Jericho. So how many of you remember, what was the first city that the Israelites took when they went into the land of Canaan? They crossed the Jordan River. They go into this land, this promised land. What was the first city that they took? And now it's given back. So we can kind of see where this is such a, a, a backslide, such a falling away. So they take the, the city of Palms. Um, the Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. For 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man. That's important. There's a reason he spells that out. The son of Gera, the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud had a, made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. Now this is important to see. He takes and makes this, it's more like a dagger. Um, the NIV translates it as a cubit, which is probably actually a little bit bigger than what this dagger was. This dagger was shaped, it was formed, it was fashioned very intentionally. It had to be small enough to fit in his, on his inner right thigh to smuggle it in, but it also had to be long enough to be able to penetrate into this very large man enough to kill him. It was fashioned very intentionally. So he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who carried it, had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your majesty, I have a secret message for you. So catch this. He calls him your majesty. The symbolism in this, and don't get lost, don't let this be lost on you, is that uh, Eglon was the king of an evil empire. And what God's about to do is deliver his people from an evil kingdom. And so it says, the king said to his attendants, leave us. And they all left. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. I told you it's a little bit disturbing. Ehud did not pull the sword out and the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said he must be relieving himself in the, upper room, in the inner room of the palace. They waited to the point of embarrassment. But when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. There they saw their Lord fallen to the floor dead. While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the stone images and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down with him from the hills with him leading the way. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down and took possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab. 
They, let, they allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. Not one escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your great love for us. God, we are not like you. You're holy, and we are not. We're flawed, and yet you loved us so much, God. You sent Jesus to pay the price for those flaws, for those sins, not just the little ones, but the big ones, so that we can become like you, God, that we can come into your presence. And Lord, I pray for that right now, that we would realize we are in the presence of the King of the universe, the creator of all things, God. God, that we would have a fear of the Lord, not a fear that's scared or horrified, but a fear that is in awe of you. I pray our greatest fear would be losing your presence, to be apart from your presence, God. We would press into you more and more. And God, that our, our greatest desire of our heart is just to be with you. We love you, Father, and thank you that you would continue to work in us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So how many of you have ever had anything that you feel like just had power over you and you really, it was just hard to do anything about it, right? It's like you just couldn't hardly break that power over you. For some people, it might be like people trying to quit smoking or whatever that might be. Um, and, and you just feel this power. Um, and we've probably all in some way done that. Even if you've just tried to go on a diet, right, you, you feel like, man, this food has power over me. Um, I was doing pretty good this week eating, and then I walk in my office, and there's three boxes of Girl Scout cookies on the table. And, and this sweet, sweet, sweet little girl had dropped these three boxes of Girl Scout cookies off in my office, and now I feel like she's like the tempter or something, you know. Um, and every time I walk by those cookies on my counter now at home, it's like they're just like watching me walk by, right? And it's, I can't go by without eating one. Um, and so it's this, this power. We feel powerless. Um, and, and some of those things are, are kind of small examples. But for a lot of us in here, we can recognize pretty quickly things that have sort of dominated our life at times. And we feel really powerless against those things. This is interesting in this account because this is the one account that the Bible says God gave the Moabites. God gave the enemy power over Israel. And I want you to see this because the Moabites, this King Eglon, he almost seems a little bit, he doesn't seem real smart, right, when you read about him. He doesn't seem like this great leader. Um, and when you read about him, you realize God had given them this power. And this power was over Israel for 18 years. In fact, King um, Eglon was as big as he was because he had been eating the food that the Israelites had been producing. He had taken everything they had. He's getting fatter while the Israelites are being made miserable. And we look at this and how frustrating for Israel. And yet you look at that and you go, man, I can kind of relate to that. There's been times when I wanted to have a breakthrough with this or I wanted to be better at this. I wanted to get rid of this. And we look at that and we're like, we try, we try, we try, but I can't seem to escape the power of this thing. And here's the encouragement I would give you out of this is understand they were delivered not because they just found greater strength in themselves. They were delivered because they cried out to the Lord. 
And when you are struggling, when there is something that seems to have power over you, and you're a believer, you're a child of God, you are um, a follower of Jesus, you need to understand that the perfect deliverer, the perfect savior, the perfect judge has broken those powers over you. The power of sin no longer has a hold of you. It can no longer dominate you. It has been broken. You have been set free from that. And, and Jesus tells us, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And if you are a believer, the Spirit of God is in you. Now look, the, the, the Israelites still had to fight a battle. The moment they cried out, God, God sent the deliverer. God has sent his deliverer to us in Jesus. They cried out, he sent the deliverer, and he came to deliver. But guess what? They still had to fight a battle. When we cry out to the Lord, that deliverance is real. God is moving. God has done this for us through Jesus so that we are no longer under the power of sin, hell, death, and the grave. But understand, there is still a battle that takes place. But you don't fight that battle in your own strength. You fight that battle through the Lord, leaning into him, trusting in him, one step at a time, knowing that he is with you and he is empowering you through the work of his spirit. We don't, aren't called to fight these battles on our own. I've said this a bunch, but if you could fix you, you would have already fixed you. Cry out to the one who is able to do in you and through you what you cannot do for yourself. And so they cry out to God, and he sends this deliverer. His name is Ehud. And I told you there's nothing really special about this guy in a good way. And in that, we sort of see this foreshadowing of Jesus. The Bible tells us that when Jesus came, there was nothing that was particularly attractive about him, nothing that made it, people look at him and go, wow, this guy's here to save us. In fact, it was the exact opposite. There was nothing particularly appealing about Jesus that would make you think he was the Savior, Messiah, the one who's come to deliver, the one who will judge us in the end. It, it doesn't look like that. Ehud doesn't appear that way. In fact, there's some things that seem to be stacked against him in doing this. One of the first things it tells us is that Ehud is a left-handed man. Now, the word for that, or the phrase for that in Hebrew, it's not necessarily directly translated left-handed. What it's translated to is restricted in the left hand, or in the right hand. He's restricted in his right hand. Now that could mean, and scholars debate this, it could mean that his right hand was withered. That it was like some kind of, of deformity that would not allow him to use his right hand. The other option, I just want to demonstrate what it looks like to be restricted. Now, I'm right-handed, so I would say I'm more restricted in my left hand, and this is what I want you to see. So, who can catch? But you can catch? All right, well here, see if you can catch it. Look at there, look at there, wiffle ball. Now watch this, got one more for you, ready? That's what I call left-handed dumb, right? Like, you just can't do anything with your left hand. You can hold on to those. Just, you know, still pay attention. Don't just, you know. But, but it, you're restricted. It, it was either a deformity or it was just he was not good with his right hand like I'm not good with my left hand. And when you look at this, it, it puts it into a little bit of an ironic situation 
Because in those days, the right hand was thought to be the, the hand of strength. It was the right, to say, you know, he's, he, the right hand meant to speak of strength and power. When the Bible speaks of God's right hand, it says power, his sovereignty, his strength. God's right hand delivers. Um, it, it doesn't really say God's left hand delivers, right? And, and so you look at this, something of strength, and here's this guy who, for one reason or another, cannot use his right hand. And so nobody thinks this guy can deliver. Nobody thinks this guy can be used by God. It's one of the reasons he got past the guards. Instead of the dagger being attached to his inner left thigh, it's attached to his inner right thigh. So when they go to search him, they don't feel the dagger. And he's able to sneak it in. And they're looking at this guy, they're like, he's, he's, he's harmless. Here's the thing I would encourage you with. For some of you, you don't feel like you can be very effective for God's kingdom. But that is a lie. That is a lie. God wants to use your life. See, there's this tragedy in the church where we have built it where it's typically more geared around one man, the pastor. And so people look to the pastor to do the ministry. And this started within 100 years or so of, of Jesus' ascension to heaven and the church being born through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's a tragedy because that's not what it was intended to be. It's intended to be the, the body of Christ doing the ministry. It's not intended for you just to come consume, but for you to contribute in the kingdom of God. It's why so many Christians feel purposeless because you haven't understood that you're called to build the kingdom of God as much as I am. But for many of you, you feel like you can't. You feel weak. You feel like, you know, I can never get up there and do what you do. Well, he probably hasn't called you to. But he still called you to make disciples. For some of you, you feel like you're damaged goods. You feel like your past has somehow disqualified you from being effective in the kingdom. That is another lie. For some of you, you don't feel intelligent enough. You don't feel smart enough. You don't feel equipped enough. Understand this. The Bible says that God uses the base things or the dumb things of the world to confound the wise. So if you think that sometimes I do a good job, it's just because I'm dumb. And that's who God uses. If God uses me, it's, it's not because I'm great. It's because he's great. It's not because I'm perfect. It's because he's perfect. It's not because I have perfect love. It's because he has perfect love. And he chooses to use the weak things, the dumb things of the world to confound the wise because it brings him glory. The people that it's hard for God to use are not those who feel inadequate. If we'll yield ourselves to him, he will use us to bring himself glory. The people that it's hard for him to use are the people that go, God, just sit back and watch me work. Those are the ones that God can't use. But if you feel weak, if you feel inadequate, if you feel like you are not smart enough, intelligent enough, if you feel like you are not gifted enough, if you feel like you've got too much of a past to be able to be used in the future, then you are a great person to be used by God. All you need to do is submit your life like, like Ehud did. And trust that God will do in you and through you and for you what you cannot do on your own. And he will bring glory to himself. He didn't choose Ehud because he was flawless. 
He chose him because he was willing. And that's where we need to be too. Is giving ourselves, yielding ourselves over to him for that purpose. When you go on into this and you begin to look at this, this um, Ehud comes in and he's willing to take this risk. He's bringing tribute. He's bringing a gift to the king. Some people say it was like taxes that he was bringing. But he comes in and he delivers this. And Ehud, he's just greedy for more. And he wants more and more and more. And so um, Ehud sends away the people. Eglon, the one who's greedy for more, he, he's there. And, and Ehud comes back and he says, I've got a special message for you. It's a secret message from God. And he's so greedy, he just wants more. He just wants everything, right? And he says, okay, send him away. Guards, go out. And then that's when Ehud takes his opportunity, and he literally risks his own life by returning, and he's, he kills the king. Here's the thing I would encourage us with. We're never going to fulfill God's purposes if we're not willing to take risks. If we're not willing sometimes to be embarrassed, if we're not willing sometimes to lose our dignity, if we're not willing to take a step of faith and step out into the things that God has put before us, then we will never see our full potential realized. I cannot tell you how many times I have embarrassed myself. Every Sunday before I get up here, I promise you, I check my zipper at least 100 times. Greatest fear, did a wedding last night. I'm back there just checking my zipper 15 times before we walk out there. I'm like, hey, y'all better check your zipper. Because we just end up doing things that embarrass it. It's okay. And you're going to make mistakes, but fall forward, right? Fall forward and get back up and then go again. But live a life that makes an eternal difference. Realize that God wants to use you. That he didn't sing, send this perfect judge, this perfect deliverer, this perfect savior, just to save you so you can go to heaven. He didn't just save you from sin. He saved you for a purpose. And that purpose is to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord by going into all nations and making disciples. Seeing other people recreated in the image of Christ to fill the earth with little Christ. That's what a Christian is. That's what he calls us to. And see, none of this would have been possible if it had not been for Jesus. We lost, we forfeited through sin our ability to do what God created us to do, which was fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. We forfeited that. In Genesis 3, when sin happens, that is forfeited. But from Genesis 3 all the way to Acts 1.8, when Jesus is about to ascend and he says, you wait in Jerusalem, he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And everything from Genesis 3 to Acts 1-8 is this plan of reconciliation that God worked out that he knew before the foundations of the earth were laid that he was going to work out through Jesus so that when we get to Acts 1-8, we see this fulfillment of this plan that began all the way in Genesis 3. And this plan was to reconcile us to himself, but it was also to reconcile reconcile us to his purpose and so that we now finally through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit have the ability to fulfill what humanity was created to fulfill in the beginning and don't settle for less than that you've got to understand Jesus has taken us 
from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. He has broken the power of sin, held death in the grave over us and given us the ability to accomplish his purposes. Listen to how it says it in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, if you want to turn there. It says it like this. It says, for he has rescued. The word rescued uh, literally means delivered. He has delivered us from the dominion, the dominion, the power of, the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, Ehud was this imperfect judge, deliverer, savior. He was pointing us to Jesus who is the perfect judge, deliverer, savior who came to reconcile us to God and give us back our ability to fulfill the purpose for which humanity was sent. Jesus came in just like Ehud. He gave his life um, just like Ehud was willing to risk his. He took down an evil empire. In fact, Jesus took down the one who is behind all evil. And one day he too is going to be judged eternally. And he took down, he broke the back of this evil empire. And now he's given us victory by faith in him. He paid the price for our sin. He, he, he now takes us, and much like that dagger in Ehud's hands that was fashioned and formed, made into this perfect tool to bring deliverance, God takes us, and in his hands, Ephesians 2.10 says he creates us into a masterpiece. He's fashioning and forming us and working in us. Even when we don't, don't see it or maybe don't even believe it, if we belong to Jesus, we know this, that he who began a good work in us is going to see it to completion. And he's fashioning and forming us into this, this workmanship, this creation that, that he's made that is designed perfectly for the good works, the Bible says, that he's already prepared for us. Is it not unbelievable to you that the God of the universe, who's got a little bit going on, right, is mindful of you? The Bible even asks this question, like, who am I, God, that you would be mindful of me? And yet you are so much so that he knows every hair of your head. And I'm not just saying this to give you some kind of message, you know, one of these messages about just how special you are. God loves you, yes. This is not one of those you're a snowflake, there's nobody else like you things. The reason I'm telling you this is because he deserves the praise for that. How many little details do we ignore in our daily life? And yet God looks at us and he says, I love you so much that I know every detail about you. I'm still fashioning you, I'm still forming you, and I've given you this Bible, this double-edged sword, to go into the world and continue to pull down the kingdom of darkness, one disciple at a time. How good is God in that? How good is God? I think about the book of Revelation, and sometimes, you know, people are like, man, is it gonna get boring? like when we're just like worshiping all the time. And the reason we think that sometimes is because of our small view of God. But you read in Revelation chapter four, where John, as he's having this revelation that was given to him by God, when he, it says he's taken up into heaven and the first thing he sees, he sees a throne. 
and around that throne are these creatures. And it talks about these four living creatures. And there in verse 8, it says, Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. I told you at the very beginning, the things I want you to understand today is that you have been made or being made to fulfill a purpose. The other thing is to see that God has sent the perfect judge, deliverer, savior to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness. The third thing was this, that our hearts would erupt with worship because we have seen who God is. We have seen what God has done. We know the plan he has for us. We know the best is yet to come. And, and that if that doesn't make us want to explode, I don't know whatever would. Here's the thing I would encourage you. Can we not join in, right? Can we not join in with, with this cloud of witnesses that is in heaven singing the praises of God? Can we realize a little bit more that it will never get dull worshiping God because every time we lift our heads to look at Him again, we're gonna go, oh my God, He's so amazing, He's so good. Holy, holy, holy is He. We're gonna continue to cast our crowns. There's no, there's no jewel, there's no thing that we've ever earned that could, could possibly compare to His goodness. And we're gonna realize this. And, and my question is, can we join in with that? Can we lift our voices with those angels, with those elders, and proclaim how good He is? Can we proclaim how holy He is? In holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I would ask you to stand today. The one thing that's been on my heart all week is, is, is not to try to create a moment, but is to give us an opportunity to worship God the way He deserves to be worshiped. And my prayer is that our echo Holy, 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 as it rings into eternity, will continue to ring in our ears throughout this week as we go apart, as we go through our week and are doing the things God puts before us. And we would take courage and we would continue to keep His name on our lips and praise Him because He is holy. Let's lift our voices to Him now.